That Davis show, lucky enough to have Stevie Baez return, the executive director of Chicago Votes Action Fund. Follow him at Stevie Baez, but really follow Chicago Votes. Listen, bro, it's been a it's been a long little period for you. I've seen you everywhere. I see you talking to the lieutenant governor. Uh, see you popping up in different places. I love the ad. All right, so you got a future and some other stuff I can see. Oh, you but, saw that that uh yeah, that attack yeah. hat. Yeah, and I, also we're gonna get into that. Because that upset that upset a brother to let you know something like here at home we were we were we were befuddled by what was going on even though their marketing scheme it worked but wow yeah. but listen I I want to get into the voting because you know this had to be somewhat difficult for you during the pandemic uh, as far as Chicago votes how to get out the vote how to get people uh, registered so first of all how did you adapt and what strategies worked and what strategies do you feel like necessarily didn't work yeah. Um... You know, we obviously did everything remotely. Um, and I think that some of the strategies that worked for us were um, just constantly having some sort of online digital engagement. Like we really ramped up our social media work. Um, and came up with a bunch of innovative ways for people to volunteer with Chicago Votes that some of it had to do with this election, some of it had to do with this election and then post-election. Um, so, for example, every Tuesday and Thursday night leading into the election, we had phone, text, and tweet banks where we would host volunteers on Zoom to uh, call people, text people, and tweet at people about making plans to vote um, and answering any questions they had around this election. Um, we created a voter guide that for the Chicago area focused on local races. Um, so it had the state's attorney race on it, the tax ballot initiative, the water reclamation district, and like 60 plus judges. Uh, we put that together in both Spanish and English. Uh, we directly mailed like 50,000 of those guides to young people who were low propensity voters. So they got it in the mail. Uh, we text um, the URL or the link to that guide to like a hundred something thousand people. We put that guide in a bunch of news outlets. Um, and then we went out around the communities once early voted started, early voting started. And we're handing those guides to people while they were in line to go vote. We also launched a court watching program this election cycle. Um, and I mentioned this a second ago. And I think I mentioned this on the last show I was on with you. There's mm -hmm. over 60 judges on the ballot, but nobody knows who these judges are. Mm -hmm. um, so we launched a court watching program where volunteers could come in and get data on judges who are up for retention. Um, unfortunately, uh, there were a lot of logistical hurdles to launching that program. So we weren't able to gather enough data to inform our voter guide for this election, but we still launched the program and we have it running now. Um, and judges are on the ballot almost every year. So now we kind of have like a head of steam and after this election, we can continue to run that program so folks can gather data on the judges who are on the ballot. Um, we also had, I don't know, I can cuss on this, right? Go right ahead. 
Yeah, all right. We also had an Instagram live series called Shit Talks that we did every Thursday night. And we would just interview different people. You saw me interview the lieutenant governor. Uh, we interviewed a state senator this past week. Uh, we've interviewed, interviewed organizers, rappers, advocates, um, uh, you name it, just to give folks um, a bunch of different perspectives on civics and politics in this election to keep the dialogue going. Um, <clears throat> we also did uh, some uh, virtual happy hours, which you could check out on our YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, they're super dope. We did. They're called Give a Shit Happy Hours, uh, where we bring in young creatives um, and give them a platform to display to, to display their um, their artistry, whether it be singing, rapping, uh, spoken word, um, poetry, uh, reading essays that they've come up with. Uh, so we put together like a forty-five minute to an hour long. Uh, give a shit happy hour that's on our YouTube channel that uh, our creative fellows put together. Um, and it's really dope. Uh, and, you know, to wrap it all up kind of and put a bow on it, essentially what we did was hire uh, young people from our community to run these programs throughout the entirety of the election cycle to get other young people, their peers, um, and for the creatives, their audiences not only engaged and fired up to turn out and vote, but just to develop a little bit more um, civic knowledge for our community because you know this election is just one benchmark and what is going to be a long-term mm. battle that we're going to be engaged in for the entirety of our existence to influence politics and civics in our community. Um, and then the last thing I'll just add uh, is uh, we were successful in turning out young people to vote in Chicago. Uh, people between the ages of 18 and 35, which is our demographic that we focus on, were the uh, highest, that, that demographic turned out higher than any other generation in this election. Mm. Um, and I think that influenced some of the results in this election, um, like the state's attorney retaining her seat. Um, but I also think that gives us the tools we need as young people when it comes time for advocacy to go to these elected officials and demand what we want and be able to point to the fact that we're the voters that you are accountable to. You have to listen to us more than you have to listen to anybody else because we turned out higher than everybody else. So your job, like essentially you work for us now. Right. And you need to listen to the demands that we're making. You need to work with us to make sure that these things come to fruition. Otherwise, you will get voted out because um, mm. we're voters. Um, the only thing I'm concerned about, we have young people also turned out at the highest rate in 2018, but our participation dipped in 2019, which is our municipal elections, which are very important in Chicago. That's Alderman. That's our mayor. These are the people who have control over our police budget. Mm. Um, so would it be interesting the next time we have an opportunity to really like test the water seriously will be 2022. And between now and then, we're going to be very innovative in the way that we build uh, heading into that election cycle. 
that day of the show right now, I have Stevie Baez, executive director of the Chicago Action Fund on with me. Uh, Stevie, let me ask you a question and just pop into my head. One, uh, on a side note, I know I voted for the wrong judges, which is terrible, right? Like, <laughs> I need you, because I'll, listen, it's funny what happened. I, I I was ashamed, but I think I should, I should let everybody know my mistake so they won't make the same mistake as I made. Um, luckily, the, the, the young lady that, that rears my children, um, she went in, looked up all the information, and wrote, took a screenshot and wrote the judges. Because usually we we vote as a family, and um, she wrote the judges down or whatever. But I didn't know she wrote the no judges, even though on the page there was a spot that said no, right? And I went and I voted for the wrong judges, and I I, oh, no. I apologize to everyone <laughs> because. But it's serious, serious. It's really serious, and like. One of the judges was retained and he barely made it. And right. I feel guilty about it because I didn't investigate that enough myself. I was depending on someone else who did do her job, but I didn't even check with her yeah. uh, to find out exactly. So it was a mistake. So I'm just putting out to everybody, you know what I'm saying? And we all make mistakes, we need to dig deeper. But hopefully, like you said, that you're gonna get the, the judge situation straightened out so I can just sit there and go to Chicago Action Fund and find out who I should go with and who I shouldn't go with. But you, you brought up, uh, Retain the retention of Kim Fox. And one of the questions I want to ask, for instance, I, I would think, of course, with the Chicago Action, Action Fund, it's, it's left leaning, right? So how do you decide between the Democratic, even though I'm sure if someone was, 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 was on the right, but they were all the way to the center and it seemed like a good idea, perhaps you guys would go that way. But how do you decide just on the Democratic side, who do you go, who do you go along with? What do they have to have uh, that gives you the inkling that we can trust this person moving forward, it's particularly when they get in office, that then, as you said, we're your bosses and you need to do what we uh, want you to do or we're going to vote you out. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, especially since we're a nonpartisan organization. Um, we focus in on the issues uh, and then we judge the candidate based off of where they are on the issues. Um so Chicago votes didn't endorse Kim Fox, mm. but we knew that Kim Fox was going to be better for our community and the issues that we advocate for uh, than Pat O'Brien. Correct. Um, you know, Kim Fox, since she's been in office, I think the, she's expunged uh, a whole hell of a lot of uh, cannabis convictions which I think is really important given the fact that cannabis has been legalized, given the fact that cannabis has been over-criminalized from the jump, it's always targeted black communities. Uh, cannabis isn't harmful. It don't kill nobody. Uh, it's just, you know, some white people came up with laws and decided that, you know, weed is illegal and we're going to over-police black communities and arrest a bunch of black people for weed, even though we don't use we no more than anybody else. Correct. So as a black woman uh, in office, you know, she understood that intuitively. She grew up in the Cabrini Green projects. Um, so she ain't, you know, the ops, as I like to put it. <laughs> you know, she also, since she's been in office, the Cook County Jail uh, has decreased I think by like 50%, the number of people who are incarcerated there on a daily basis, so much so that some of the facilities at the Cook County Jail are empty and mm. she's working to get those facilities torn down so they can't become places for mm. incarceration once she's done. Right. Um, she also, you know, when Laquan McDonald was shot, 
Uh, Jason Van Dyke was the first police officer to be indicted uh, and charged and convicted mm -hmm. for the unarmed killing of a black person in over 50 years. And it was her decision to prosecute him. Mm. Um, now, he shot a kid 16 times and killed him and only got two to five years. Right. Uh, which is bullshit. Um, and she hasn't been able to do all the things that we want her to do. Um, not every police officer that has used excessive force has been prosecuted by the state's attorney's office. Um, there are a number of people who have wrongful convictions who have been prosecuted by the state's attorney's office. Uh, she's working in a system that was built long before she got into it. And from my vantage point, I do believe that she's doing the best that she can. Um, and, you know, the reality is we only had two options on the ballot. Uh, and I don't want to say vote for the lesser of two evils in her situation, uh, but it does point to a, you know, just concern in general that I personally have with the democratic process. Um, look at the presidential race. You had two white 70 something year old men running for president. Uh, and in Chicago, again, 18 to 35 year olds are the highest voting demographic, but neither one of these people speak for us just for the sheer fact that they're three generations removed. Uh, they don't understand what's going on in our communities. Joe Biden has been in elected office since before I was born, since mm. 14 years before I was born, he was elected to his first political office. So he ain't been in the hood for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean with ice pick at the old pool? Right, you know, like, and then this man got the nerd to get on the breakfast club talking about, if you don't know if you're gonna vote for me or Donald Trump, then you ain't really black. Like what, bro, wow. like, come yeah. on, you know? Right. So that just points to a flaw in the democratic process. It's supposed to be a representative democracy. Uh, but, you know, the reality is a lot of people aren't represented and you are pigeonholed often uh, as a black person, as a young person to choose between two candidates who simply just are not prioritizing our community, you know? There are definitely going to be candidates that are better for our community, but one of these presidential candidates, again, are prioritizing our communities. Uh, and it just seems like that never, we just can't get it, get that to happen. Uh, but with, in the issue again, back to Kim Fox, um, there is a, there is a hope there that this black woman from Cabrini Green Projects who has expunged all these cannabis convictions, who has released a bunch of predominantly black people from jail who prosecuted a police officer who killed an unarmed black person and was the first time a police officer was prosecuted and charged and convicted uh, was under her watch. Uh, that that there is some prioritization of the black community, um, especially in the legal system, which has plagued our community more than any other system that exists in society. Uh, so that's a, a bit reassuring, uh, but we are nonpartisan. We still got a long way to go.
You feel me? Like if Pat O'Brien came out, if Pat O'Brien was talking about the same stuff Kim Fox is talking about, then it would have been a little bit trickier. But he wasn't. He was endorsed by the FOP. And that's really all you need to see. The FOP is ran by a Trump supporter. Um, and, you know, that's really all you need to know. Right. And we're definitely going to get into the presidential election and uh, both houses. But I, I, I want to still stick with the local election real quick. So with the local results, was there anything that stood out to you or you were awestruck by something that took place, positive or negative? You know, the negative uh, was that no judges, every single judge kept their seat. Every single judge. Yeah. Sorry, Stevie. No. <laughs> I mean, but it ain't your fault. It ain't the voters fault. You know, the system isn't the system isn't good. You know, these judges do not have to take any public stances. Um, these judges are not running campaigns. These judges are seeking retention, which means, you know, if 60% of voters say, okay, they could keep their seat, then they keep their seat. But they're not running against people in any public fashion. They're not taking stances on anything in any like real way. And during this pandemic, if you try to go and watch these judges in their courtrooms to see like as a voter, like who these judges are and trying to gather the information yourself, it's very difficult. The cameras are cut off because it's virtual. It's hard to even find what courtroom these judges are in. You can't see who is in front of them when they're going through these cases. And if you watch criminal court in Cook County, it doesn't, it's not humane. It's not a justice system. People are turning through like numbers. They're not seeing the humanity and the people that are coming in front of them in these courtrooms. It's mm -hmm. just case number so-and-so, case number so-and-so, case number so-and-so. Um, and so the system is just all jacked up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we are in the early stages of trying to reform the election process as it become as it come as it pertains to judicial candidates um and then the process of reforming our judicial system is still in a like a very early stage as well and chicago votes is doing work around that uh, on the legislative front um and we could talk about that later but the judicial the judicial our judicial system is jacked man you no, know, talk about it now, Steve. You talk about it right now. All right. <laughs> Our judicial system is jacked. You got predominantly white judges dealing with predominantly black people. Mm -hmm. um, and so one some of the ways that we're trying to infiltrate and like make it more equitable is uh, through the legislative process. So we have two bills specifically that are dealing with the judicial system. One requires that judges receive gender equity, I'm sorry, gender and racial bias training um, quarterly. So four times a year, they're receiving gender and racial bias training, as well as training on youth brain development. Hmm. Illinois is one of the few places where a 17-year-old can get sentenced to life. Uh, but the youth brain doesn't finish developing until 26. Um, black people are getting locked up been getting locked up, you know, and 
judges need to, we need to have on record that these judges are understanding the trauma that they're inflicting on families and communities as a result of black people constantly being locked up. These judges also need to understand why black people are constantly being put in front of them in the courtroom. Black women are the fastest growing prison population. Um, and so these judges need to understand, you know, the impact of uh, gender biases in the courtroom. They need to understand that black women are the fastest growing prison population um, and understand their role in that and how they can stop that and how they can start dishing out justice as opposed to trauma in the courtroom. Um, the, other, uh, the other piece of legislation we're working on is really something that just strengthens language that already exists in the legal statute uh, which is ensuring that people who have felony convictions on their record are not barred from serving on a jury solely because they have a felony conviction. Um, there's a bunch of confusion around this. The Illinois Bar Association, in fact, had put out language saying that if you had a felony, you couldn't serve on a jury. And it took Jen Dean, a member of our staff, emailing them, the Illinois Bar Association, and saying to them, we think you got this wrong. This Jen doesn't have a law degree. She's just an organizer. We, okay. we, we think you got this wrong. We think that people with felonies can serve on juries. And here's in the statute that we're reading where we think that that's the case. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're right. So we rewrote, well, we just added one sentence into the statute, not even, yeah, one sentence into the statute. And where the, so where the statute says you cannot stop somebody from serving on a jury based off of religion, sexual orientation, gender, racial bias, and we added prior felony conviction. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that a judge can't say, this person, I'm, we're charging somebody, somebody's coming in front of my courtroom who has a conviction in for armed robbery. And I have a juror who has a felony conviction for armed robbery. This forces the judge, the judge to say, I am not going to let this person serve on my jury, serve on the jury, not because they have a felony, but because they have a felony and armed robbery, and there's a correlation between this and the person who's coming in front of my jury. Now we've heard from judges that they haven't done this in the past where they haven't stopped people with felonies from serving on their juries, but we've also heard from judges that they have used a felony conviction as the sole purpose to stop somebody from serving on a jury. And again, if black people are constantly being locked up, if black people are constantly being put in front of a judge in the courtroom and our legal system is supposed to allow for people in general to be judged by their peers, a jury of their peers. And we're stopping people from felonies from serving on the jury. That means we're stopping predominantly black people from serving on juries in a judicial system that is trying predominantly black people. Mm. So these are little changes to the system, you know what I mean? Little tweaks that we're trying to make here and there. Uh, but that's just the nature of the beast. You feel me? Like, I wish there was a circumstance and maybe there will be soon. But right now there isn't 
where we can just come with a full fledged like this is all the things that need to happen in the judicial system to fix, you know, the trauma and the plight of our communities. Uh, but we're not politically. We're just not in that position, unfortunately. But we're doing the best that we can. That Davis show, Stevie Baez, executive director of Chicago Action Fund, joins us right now. Follow him at Stevie Baez, but make sure you follow at Chicago Votes and support Chicago Votes. Stevie, real quick, uh, just still with the, judi the judicial system. What are some of the things, like when you mentioned the Kim Fox tearing down those empty buildings that are over there at Cook County, uh, what are some of the things and some of the ideas that Chicago Votes are pushing to try to get people treatment and, and try to get people therapy. Like what I'm sure there has to be, like you just said, that you, you have this, this this system that keeps putting us in front of these judges. And as, as you mentioned, as far as the, the development and growth of a young person's brain, not being able to basically be finished growing until they're 26. So I'm sure you're, you're, you're coming up with other ways that you have to sit here and, and treat these people. Some of them do need to go to jail, but they don't need the same uh, length in jail because as you said, their, their brain hasn't necessarily matured enough. What are some of the, the, the plans that Chicago uh, Votes wants to put to action? Yeah, um, you know, I think the racial uprising this past summer um, took an this issue of Black communities being over-policed from being an issue that we all as staff individually understood as Chicago Votes and made it an issue that we at Chicago Votes collectively need to address, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, we've all individually already known that it's a problem, um, but we've never been so eager to do work as an organization to actually identify what needs to change and move forward in changing that thing. Um, we know what needs to change. Um, we believe that a society or a community at its best does not need police, does not need jails. Um, and we feel that we need to be moving in a direction as a community, as a society, to get to the point where we don't need, where police are gone and jails are gone. What that means is we need to invest in the things that will make our community safer, less violent, and change the laws that are punitive and deliberately targeting our communities. Our hypothesis is this. If our communities have mental health facilities, if our communities have good grocery stores and fresh produce is accessible, if our communities have good roads and are simply clean, if our communities have funded schools so these kids can get like a good education, if our communities have recreational centers and community centers that are investing in our communities, if there's beautification projects in our communities, if there's more of an inclination to make sure black people can open up their own businesses in their communities. If the city, if our country, if our state just simply prioritized black communities who are struggling the most in our society and did everything humanly possible to ensure that the trauma that our communities are still suffering from since slavery is dealt with, then 
we won't need police. There won't be violence. There won't be laws being broken. So we're working to defund the police and invest the astronomical budget that the police are getting in the city of Chicago towards some of those things that we've listed. And our hope is that our city leaders would be willing and relinquish their egos enough to listen to us and think that, you know what, maybe if Chicago is the most violent city in America, if black people in Chicago are the poorest black communities in America, if Chicago does the worst job at making sure that there are schools in these black communities, but our police budget is still the biggest of any city in the country, then maybe these organizers are onto something. Maybe we should look at ourselves and really ask ourselves, is doing the same thing over and over again going to get us anywhere? Is yeah. continuing to overinvest in police going to actually heal these communities? Or is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result the definition of insanity? Insanity? <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. Let me push back real quick, Stevie. Because even in the suburbs, there's still crime being committed. And I'm talking about suburbs where there are not any black people. So what about domestic violence? Uh, what about murder? How would you take care of these situations uh, if there's no police whatsoever and no jails? You know, there has to be an alternative to police and jails. Um, I think that there are ways uh, to you know, ensure that people are not suffering from violence, people who commit murder are kept away from communities where they uh, are a threat mm -hmm. that isn't so draconian as jails and prisons. And I think there is a community safety entity mm -hmm. that is not as militant as police that can keep our communities safe. And what we're describing, at least what I'm describing is not a 2021, we pull the plug on police, yeah. shrink yeah. the budget down to zero, help our communities, and we live in a lawless land. No, mm -hmm. what I'm describing is a community and city yeah. Gradually. collaboration mm -hmm. that identifies what the alternative is, because there are al alternatives. And that alternative has to be led with a restorative justice lens as opposed mm -hmm. to a law and order lens. You know, law and order never works out for black people. Mm -hmm. Restorative justice works out for everybody. Um, I don't, and I think that we need to figure that out as a community, as a city. And like I said, the egos of our city leaders have to be put to the side and they have to come to the table. And our community leaders, even out in the suburbs, you know, this idea that, you know, police are the only way to keep communities safe has to simply be questioned. Right. Listen, I know what you really want. You want to go old school and send them to Australia. I'm with you. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, Stevie, listen, let's, let's switch off. Uh, Cause I would, I do want to talk about the fair tax. Um, mm -hmm. Listen, billionaires did their fizzle. The millionaires of to see the commercials where quote unquote, middle-class people were capping for don't make them have to pay because they're going to come for us. My first thought is, listen, let them get them first. All right. Like if they're always going to come for us. 
So if they're finally getting them, and it, I guess it kind of even still equates to why 45 was in the White House. Like people were acting like they were on the same level and they understood this rich, spoiled brat. But what happened with the fair tax? What was it, six, six points away from, from, from actually going through? I, to me, it seemed like common sense to change the taxes on people who make over 250000 and if, in particular, people that are super rich here in the state of Illinois. I think it was just hubris on behalf of the campaign. Uh, uh. I think uh, they underestimated like how much people would support this. I think they thought simple messaging would get everybody on their side. Um, but you know, you got to keep it real with people, like what exactly this is, instead of trying to sell it as like another. It just. Mm. If it, it, it flowed into the political campaign narrative, as opposed to being like, yo, here's the reality of this situation. Yeah, this constitutional amendment does give us the opportunity to tax people at a higher rate. But this constitutional amendment that we're passing is also going to complement a piece of law that we already passed in the state legislature that is going to ensure that billionaires are taxed at a higher rate than people who don't got billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. The other thing is they kept selling it as this, this additional revenue can help things like so on, so on and so forth, education, you know, um, healthcare, but there was no guarantee that that revenue was going to do that. You know what I mean? Um, and there wasn't really clarity coming from the campaign that that was actually what it was going to be. It was just a talking point. That was my personal frustration. Um, I served on the advisory committee for Fair Tax. You saw the ad. Yeah. You know, I supported the Fair Well tax. done, too. Well done. Thanks, brother. Thank you. <laughs> well done. Um, I supported the fair tax. Our, our organization was pushing for people to support the fair tax. In Chicago, it went crazy. Um, but, you know, the fact that it was on the ballot during a presidential year did not help. Oh. Um, you know, look at the look at Illinois. Red. Oof, red. And you needed statewide support of that thing. You feel me? Like, mm. it's one thing to need to get electoral to like electoral college votes to go to a president, you can count on Chicago to take care of that for the entire state. But you needed the entire state to support this fair tax and people didn't understand it. Um, you know, people skipped it, I'm sure. I'm sure the numbers will come back where it'll be like people skipped it because they were confused. Uh, downstate, people weren't banging with it. Republicans, the ads that they were running were solid. Like mm -hmm. they had black people on there, like nope. <laughs> I saw black people, like a number of black people, like black business leaders, members of the Chamber of Commerce, like nope, this is gonna hurt me. Black business owners, like nope, this is gonna hurt me. Which I think I don't think that's actually true. I think they got finessed. Mm. Um, but man, it sucks. You know, because getting a constitutional amendment passed in Illinois is hard work, hard work. Like the they had to they had to. I don't know. Do you know how a constitutional amendment works in Illinois? No, please give me educate me. Oh, my God. So in Illinois, most of these ballot referendums are not legally binding. 
that we get. They're usually like equivalent to a public poll. The mm -hmm. only way a ballot referendum is legally binding in Illinois is if it's passed through the legislature. So you have to go to, you have to go to a legislative session like in January, the state legislative session. You got to get it passed through the House and the Senate that we want to change the law this way by a ballot referendum. The con a constitutional amendment has to happen by way of a ballot referendum or a constitutional convention. The governor decided that they wanted to change the tax code in Illinois by way of a ballot referendum. But for that ballot referendum to be legally binding, they had to get that passed through the legislature. Then the legislature had to agree on the language. Once that was done, the governor's team had to launch a statewide campaign to get this passed. So they had to get it passed to the House. They had to get it passed to the Senate. They had to agree on the language. Then they had to get the people of Illinois to support it. So this was a two year since the governor had been elected. This is a two year process that they've been going through. And this was the last thing they had to do to change the tax code was this mm. and lost. And that sucks, you know? So that means, let me ask you this, is it dead now? Is there any way to reconfigure this? Because as you just said how difficult it is, it would seem like what's the point when he only has a couple more years in his term to try to do this again? I don't know what the governor is gonna do. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're gonna do. Um, there have been a lot of groups that have been trying to do this work for a very long time before the governor got into office um there's going to be there's going to need to be a lot of reconciliation between the entity that was running this campaign and the mm -hmm. community-led groups that have been trying to get this passed for longer than the governor has been trying to do it mm -hmm. um because frankly the way the campaign went down was there were two different entities trying to get this passed because they couldn't work together mm -hmm. you know and you're and when you're I think people underestimate the value of community building, frankly. And a lot of folks think that they know what needs to happen. And if you don't listen to the way that they want to do it, then you can get on. Um, and we saw that, it, like the fact that there wasn't like a strong, cohesive, collaborative effort between community groups and the governor's entity that ran this campaign. I, it, I don't, that may not have been the thing that lost it, yeah, I don't think it helped. <sighs> Stevie Valles, executive director of the Chicago Vote Action Fund. Follow the fund at Chicago Votes. How you said that, I know you too, brother. You don't have to say anything. I, I'm sure you wish those taxes of his were out. And you do a little bit of this when you're looking at old JB. I'm saying that, not you. I'm just, I'm saying that because I'm not the biggest JB guy. Yeah. Uh, it's Democratic Donald in a way to me. And it's like, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So listen, the money. Uh, yeah, he has the money. I mean, and it showed when you have the money, you can dictate what happens because I feel like certain rules or I, I guess I should say, I feel like certain norms should be maintained. And if you don't have anything to hide and your predecessors have been giving us their financials, I feel like you should have to do the same thing. But I know that's something that should necessarily be written down. And it's the fact that you have to do it instead of uh, uh, a nicety uh, or whatever. Um, listen. I got another one problem. And um, again, I'm not saying it is I dislike this person, but it's just it's kind of odd to me and it's not sitting well. I think Dick Durbin's a good man, but a fifth term to me is a bit much. Right. Like, I mean, 
I'm sorry. Somebody give someone else a chance at this. Right. Like it's, it's it's not a knock on him. I think after three, you should feel like you've done everything. I, it makes me go back and I think about like Teddy Roosevelt back in the days. So the guys like I don't need two terms. I'm gonna do it in one. You know, like <laughs> and, and the fact that they were trying. You know, they were being boisterous, but trying to say, listen, I'm gonna get in here. I'm not gonna play. I'm gonna do what I got to do, and I'm, I'm gonna bounce. You know, say so, or I could go to like Jay Z when he said Reasonable Doubt was gonna be his own album. You know, what I'm saying like. Or so, fire after the black album exactly exactly <laughs> but what what are your thoughts on term limits because even with good quote-unquote good politicians i still feel like there should be term limits because i mean absolute power absolutely corrupts right man um my thoughts on term limits so let me say this uh dick durbin 75 joe biden 77 Donald Trump is 74. Nancy Pelosi is has to be in her 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Schumer has to be in his 70s, too, or in his late 60s. Um, the people who run this country are old. And, you know, people who run a lot of stuff here locally are getting up there as well. And there again, I mentioned this earlier, generations removed from us. Um But what that does mean is right now, this election cycle, and I'd I'd say this election cycle in the next four years will be the last wave of the baby boomers and the silent generation running everything in this country. Right. Um, And it's about to be Generation X and millennials, hopefully more millennials than Generation X. Um, So that's a little bit of an optimistic spin like these these days of these institutionalized politicians running everything are coming to an end. Um, now, in terms of term limits, man, um, my my thinking on term limits is evolving, has evolved over the years. Uh, I do believe that the executive of every of the national government, the state government, and the local government should have term limits. Uh, and what that means is mayors should have term limits. Governors. Should have term limits. Presidents should have term limits. United States senators, uh, you know, I, I'd have the, the I'd have the conversation around term limits, you know? And I think like it should be more terms than what a president and like a mayor and a governor have, but, you know, possibly term limits because they serve longer terms too. I agree. After a, after a senator's first term, a United States senator's first term, uh, their terms are six years. Their first term is four years. Every term after that is six. So they're serving longer periods of time. Um, and the only reason I'm not just cutthroat, everybody should have term limits, is because nothing gets done already on the federal level. Yeah. And if, and if there's this constant, like... Overturning. Yeah, you got people coming in and they need to like, it takes a person like two, three years to really get the hang of their job. Um, you know? And so, you know, I want to extend some grace to these elected officials and the hope that, you know, giving them more space will allow them to carry on agendas that maybe the executive of a federal state or local government was trying to, you know, advance, but they couldn't before their term ended. 
that these other electeds can take that agenda and advance it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is a lot of the work is on our shoulders as the people, you know, we're the ones who need to be more proactive in setting the agenda. We're the ones who need to be more proactive in ensuring that we're sending people to these positions that are going to advance the interests that are our interests as the people. And right now that really isn't what's happening. So it's hard for me to make this argument with this understanding that there isn't a lot of trust for politicians. There isn't a lot of trust for government and that's justifiable. Um, And I think honestly, in this answer, this is the first time I've said anything that even is remotely pro politician. Like the (laughs) need more time. Just give Dick Durbin and these United States senators with their millions of dollars a little bit more grace. You know, (laughs) you know, my my perspective is in the interest of society, not in the interest of these millionaires and billionaires. Dick Durbin, you know. I I don't really got beef with Dick Durbin. Uh, me either. Me you know, either. I've met him a number of times. He and I did a press conference together. He was nice to me. That's all. That's all I can ask for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, he's seventy-five. Like there are plenty of talented people in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois that can like are ready to like pass us the baton, bro. Like let us let us get some things cracking. You don't need to be like. The guy who's the defending democracy. We can do it. You know, give us some time. Jesse White, he's, I don't know how old Jesse White is. He's been Secretary of State for 50, 11 years. And in our advocacy efforts, when you have people who have been in those like positions for so long, it makes mm-hmm. advocating to them so difficult because they right. have so much power. They don't need to listen to you. Because they're not at threat, they're not of they're not they're not at risk of losing their position mm-hmm. because their name recognition is so high. You can't get a driver's license without seeing Jesse White's name. Right. You got Jesse White tumblers who are I was gonna say that amazing, you know, amazing. But this guy's been in office for a very long time. Mm. Oh, bro. All right, that Davis show, Stevie Bias, second director. Of Chicago votes fund, you're getting heavy with me right now. You're getting heavy. I want to go. I want to go to the top of the ticket. Uh, I was watching on CNN right before we started this interview that it was it was ticking down. And then Ryan texted me and told me they called it for Joe uh, or Joseph because you know looking at looking at I had to double check when I was voting. I was like Joseph, they're trying to get me right. Or Biden, right? I had to look like oh hold on hold on. Um, but look, uh, how did you feel Tuesday night? All right. Uh, after, you know, well, not after it was, it, it was the count was, was called, of course, but we'll say whenever you went to bed, how did you feel wow. Tuesday night? Wow. Big news. He got 284. Robot. So he, did, he didn't get 306. Just, just now. Well, Stevie, really quick. It's, it's, it's his call. What didn't he get? Because did he not get Pennsylvania? What, what, what didn't he get? Because 306 would have been if he got all four of those states, correct? Yeah, let me see what he so he they haven't called Nevada. They okay. have they haven't called there's a couple of states they haven't called. Okay, then okay. So he's just since he's past 270, they're they're giving him that. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, because I want I want I want the whole 306. So when they try to re, re redo all of this and with all their little uh, lawsuits, you gotta look at how many electoral votes he got over. Right, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, but listen, so how did you feel Tuesday night about this country? Um, all right. Thank you for asking me. You're welcome. Tuesday night, I had a bottle of wine. I ordered some Pequods. Okay. It was kicking it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday morning, I was like, man, more people voted in this election than the amount of people who have voted in an election in the past 100 years in America. Joe Biden got more votes than any presidential candidate in the history of American politics. Um, those votes, I'd argue, were less for Joe Biden than they were against Donald Trump. Because mm -hmm. um, Joe Biden was not a good, is not a good candidate. No. Uh, I I have I have a good amount of beef with Joe Biden. Um, as you should. As I sh yeah, justifiable beef. Yeah. Um, but those votes were anti-Trump, not pro-Joe. Uh, These I, are into a means. Exactly. I expected this to be close. I would not have been surprised if Donald Trump would have won. Um. I'm also not surprised that Joe Biden did win and he won by like this, like the skin of his teeth. I wanted to be surprised. I wanted to be surprised. I wanted to see Joe Biden win by a huge margin because I wanted America to be better. Right. I wanted America to be better. I wanted to go to sleep knowing that Joe, like Donald Trump only got to office because people just didn't vote. Right. But I'll tell you this, black people delivered that presidency and always have. Joe Biden, and I've been saying this, I used to say this to Ryan, the election's gonna boil down to Pittsburgh, Philly, Detroit. I didn't know it was gonna boil down to Atlanta. Mm. Shout out to Atlanta, Stacey Abrams. Yes. Atlanta's the blackest city in America. And that's why Georgia is, up in the air and possibly going to go blue. Georgia. Um, Crazy. So I expect Joe Biden, he has a mandate to listen to the people, to listen to black people. So, you know, my feelings now are like, all right, Joe Biden's in office. Prioritize us because we got you here. Nobody else got you here. We got you here. Philly, Pittsburgh, Detroit, uh, Milwaukee, um, like these are, these are the places that did not turn out for Hillary Clinton mm -hmm. because black people were not excited about Hillary Clinton and black people did not expect Donald Trump to actually win. Let's be right. Like right. most of my homeboys didn't vote. You know, I'm the only one in my circle who's politically active. A lot of them didn't vote in 2016 and they said they didn't vote because they didn't expect Donald Trump to win. And right. gets to the problem with polling, abolish polls, abolish polling. It's not helpful. Right. And it's always wrong. So just stop. Stop paying these nerdy white guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, bro, you ain't helping. Like y'all, right. y'all had y'all had Joe Biden winning, like possibly winning Texas. You had Georgia secured for Donald Trump. Arizona was not on the map. Michigan. Right. You, you know, you had uh, I think you had Ohio in Joe Biden's 
favor. Like, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Y'all just simply don't. Um, and so the polling also isn't helpful and it's risky because that polling messed up stuff in 2016. Because, like, you know, Donald Trump ain't going to win. They got Hillary up by like 20 points. The same thing happened this, this time. Right. So, you know, that's my feeling. You know, it's a clear sign that we as black people, and I always speak from the black people's perspective because I'm black. And I fundamentally believe that a society can't go anywhere unless you lift the most oppressed population in that society up. And Correct. people are objectively the most oppressed population in America. Um, so, you know, this country clearly, or this election clearly indicated to me that we as black people have to still work twice as hard um, to get half as far. I tell Ryan and on the show that when situations like this and Trayvon Martin, uh, Donald Trump being elected, usually around that time I play, it's one of my top three Drake songs, Worst Behavior. Worst. And the line, yes, the line, motherfuckers never loved us. If, I like to repeat it in my head because it's reaffirming when you saw how the second most votes ever went to a racist divider, uh, a criminal, a twerp, a, a flanderer like this is like one of the worst people to ever be elected no it's a lot of bad presidents all right i told my son asked me what he said he's the worst i was like i don't know we can look in the past there's Andrew some reactions up there yes yes Rumble slave owning presidents yes, <laughs> yes. Well, what was what was it was it wilson or coolidge which one had a a birth of a nation or whatever playing in there and was like oh, oh the worst part is it was just so true you know like when you think about that, so I was I was teaching him that uh, I was trying to tell him that, but it's it's just I was I was upset. I, I'm happy what happened. I, I I'm not a Joe Biden fan, um, but it's funny when I have to get in debates with people. I had this past Friday with someone that was like, "Oh no, I don't know between the both of them." Uh, and, and some of the I mean, some of the reasons was kind of. It, I, let me just be clear. It was the Joe Biden uh, sexual. As far as did he do anything wrong? He was talking about him touching some little girl. I'm like, wait. I don't know anything about all that. It's, I know what happened with the young lady that was working there in Washington that came out. Uh, they said that he had sexually assaulted her. I did investigate that myself. We went through different layers of che checking that out. Even I know that Dems were kind of funny how they were handling it. I did review that myself because I want to know. I, I don't agree with anybody doing anything like that. Right. Uh, but look, one of the things I want to ask you, just a few more questions. Why didn't the Dems make any huge gains in the House or in the Senate? Excuse me. Because <clears throat> um, Joe Biden was at the top of the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. People weren't inspired, you know. Yeah. When, Obama, when Obama was running, we when Obama was running for president during elect during his election seasons, Democrats were running up. Every because people were inspired by Obama. Our generation also was kind of spoiled, but we also like learned like we had my first time voting was for Barack Obama. OK, you know what I mean? So as a voting age adult up until Donald Trump got elected, the only president I had ever seen was a black man. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, lucky you. Lucky me. Right. Uh, Donald Trump was like, you know whiplash you know i was drinking something don't do that <laughs> <Donald Trump's laughs> whiplash um 
But when when in those years, 2012, he got elected, flipped the House, flipped the Senate. Two years into his presidency, when people ain't voting because Obama's not at the top of the ticket. Right. Midterms. Lost the House. Uh, lost the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lost the House and the Senate. When Obama got reelected, got the Senate back. Two years into that, lost the Senate again. Right. You know what I mean? So the top of the ticket, if that candidate's not inspirational, you're going, it's, it's tough. You feel me? It's tough because the president is determined by the electoral college votes. These congressional seats and these Senate seats are just pure, raw, who gets the most votes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got people in swing districts, uh, Democrats in swing districts, where you know, that's a real test. Like, I'm in a swing district. Are are the are are there enough Democratic voters to send me back, or are the Republicans going to turn out in crazy numbers because they're guys at the top of the ticket? Okay. And what we saw, the inspiration we saw from Obama, the right, the exact same inspiration came from Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Even though Joe Biden won the presidency, these congressional seats took an L. And I don't think we're getting the Senate or Democrats are getting the Senate neither. I don't really know. I haven't been able to. I haven't looked looked that up recently. Um, I know that what, what it looks like that they're going to have the runoff in Georgia and that's two seats. Um, so but they they would need to get three and then you could have uh, Kamala sit there and, and be the deciding factors. But it's, it's like you said, like that. And that's where you really want to have. You dig Durbism, but you want to have your people there. Uh, right. but look, look, this is one thing that I'm afraid of. But that David show here with Stevie Baez, executive director of Chicago Action Fund. Uh, follow Chicago Action Fund at Chicago Action Fund and follow him at Stevie Baez. Uh, Stevie, I knew that I probably wouldn't see another black president. All right. I just kind of got that feeling. But after the, this record turnout, I don't know what the Democrats are going to do because I think you're going to have to keep running white men if you're going to try to get that suburban vote. I mean, I don't, or unless, I mean, unless you find another Obama, and I, mean, I haven't seen one of those, Stevie. I haven't seen one of those. I don't think them suburbanites are going to like this. Oh, no. You know, we would have to get rid of that, bro. We would have to get rid of that one. All right. You're going to have to sacrifice something, Steve. You got to sacrifice something. But I'm like, what? So just as far as the presidential elections, because I mean, you would think that the, if, if, if the goal was to one term Joe Biden and then set up Miss Harris to, to, to go next, that's not going to work. I mean, it, uh, that's just how I feel right now looking at this country. Um, yeah. I don't I don't see it happen, especially there's a chance unless in southern Manhattan that they put some they, they lock this dude up, which a, a president, a former president that we have to. And this is this is why I want an impeachment. The threat of him running again, it, it's I hate it looming over my head for another four years. And it's its like somebody having a pistol out on you. Yeah. You do you know, do you know the story of Haiti's independence? Yeah. And you know how those French ships after Haiti won their independence, the French, the French ships posted up in the Atlantic with guns pointed at the island. Mm-hmm. So if Haiti didn't pay, that they were just like, all right, we're we're coming back in. Yeah, and they just finished paying that off like sixty years ago, sixty or seven years ago. Thinking about that, like, and they and Francis want to give many of that money back. U.S.O.B.s, like, yeah, definitely. Here, like, 
They colonized the island and then made the island pay them reparations for winning their own independence. And basically, just like like you said, pointed the pistol at their head and was just like, as soon as you miss a payment, as soon Come as back. You miss a payment, it's just like student loan people at Sally Mae. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man. Um, I don't know the future of American politics. I think. This is this is not this is an ongoing narrative. This is an ongoing narrative, and it is more poignant now than I think it's been in decades. Mm. Like the country is literally in a tug of war right now, the entire country. Um, and my grandma lived through the civil rights era. My grandma grew up in Savannah, Georgia, marched with Dr. King, sprayed with hoses, couldn't drink at water fountains that were colored only or were whites only, had to sit in the back of the buses. Like my grandma's one of those real ones. Mm-hmm. And she's told me time and time again, this is the most important election. I've never seen a country like this before because it's the entire country that's being pulled, not just the South. You know, back then there was always this kind of uh, slavery's a South problem, mm-hmm. racism's a South problem, voter repression's a South problem. Now this is a country problem, and the fact that we had to run an old white man in order to stop a tyrant, mm-hmm. Say least, it, bro. that's the recipe that the Democrats came up with, is extremely concerning. I don't agree with that recipe. I could be wrong. I still have faith. Maybe I don't because I laughed at myself. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't because I laughed at myself. But, you know, I hope, I hope that this new generation that we have coming up you know, we're the most, di- we're the biggest, millennials are the biggest generation, the most diverse generation, and the most progressive generation. And I hope that the Democratic Party has, can develop enough faith in our generation in the next four years to feel confident that they can run a person of color to represent the party. I just hope that that's the case. The fact that I have to hope that that's the case. In 2020. It breaks my heart. Because Black people just delivered the presidency for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. So one would hope that like, if that's if Black people just delivered the presidency for Joe Biden, then you can trust that running a person of color at the top of the ticket won't be the downfall, downfall of the party. You mm-hmm. know, that's... That's my hypothesis. You feel me? That's that's what I hope is the case. And just leave them suburban voters alone. Don't don't build a campaign for the suburban voters because these swing states have these metropolitan districts that are the areas that are ultimately delivering the electoral right. votes anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the electoral college. You know, my hope is that when I die, it's gone. Please. I don't see that happening soon, anytime soon. 
but my hope that it, when I die, it's gone. The logic behind the Electoral College is to ensure that the entire country has equal say in who becomes president and that cities like New York, Chicago, and LA don't decide who the president is every single year. My argument is rural parts of America don't see black people, don't see poor people, don't see gay people. So they're operating in a bit of a echo chamber. Right. And I don't think that giving them an elevated say is helpful. I think that if the cities are determining the presidential election, then the cities are delivering a more representative democracy because there are more people coming from a litany of different walks of life in the major cities. You know what I mean? Like wearing a make American great again hat in Chicago, you might get jumped. That's right. why I never believed what happened with Jesse Smollett. Oh, we all didn't. When, when they, we all did. It was like, wait, downtown? During the, the poll, somebody had on that hat? Dude, yeah. I mean, I work downtown. I was like, nah, son. That, 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 didn't, that didn't sound right. That didn't sound right. Last question, Stevie. Uh, listen, so for, for the action fund, uh, now that you basically you have to, you're going to wait to midterms because we're not going to vote anytime soon for the mayor or for the governor. Um, what's next? Like, what, what, how do you gear up next? What's the next move? Do you take a vacation? Like, what do you do? What, how do you, how do you, how do you figure out the next, the next move? Or is it just gas foot to the gas pedal? We got to keep going. Yeah. Foot's always down, you know, okay. we built into our organization, self-care spiritual care breaks nurturing because the reality is everybody pays attention during elections but organizations like ours you know post-election is just as important you know post-election is when you have to work with these newly elected people to make sure they're prioritizing our communities otherwise you know who are they prioritizing? Who are they advocating? Like you, you have to fight to make sure your voice is front and center um, because the people who typically are front and center are the entities who have the resources to pay the lobbyists, to fund the campaigns, to elevate their voices between election cycles. And that's why our communities feel like no matter who gets elected, nothing gets done. Right. Um, the civic engagement is a 24 7, 365, round the clock, every single year thing that we have to do. Political engagement, participation in democracy is far more complex than voting. You know, what we're really trying to do here is dismantle systems that have oppressed and build systems that empower by way of advocating to people who have been elected to represent us. Mm. So the electing the people to represent us is only one part of that journey. Understanding how to advocate for laws is a huge part of that. Mm. Understanding how to hold elected officials accountable is a huge part of that. Understanding different ways that one can be influential in a democratic society is a part of that. Direct actions, taking to the streets, protesting, huge part of participation in a democratic society or participation in democracy. I always say that the media 
are the people's lobbyists. So doing these direct actions and getting news coverage and getting elevated to like the national uh, you know, conversation, that is a tool that we, the people have to use in order to get those who are elected to even think about us or talk about it or get asked questions about us or pass laws about us or come up with solutions to help empower us. Otherwise, we're not talked to, we're not thought about, and we're not reached out to until our election season. Um, part of that is on the elected officials. Part of that is on the system. A lot of that is on us. So we as Chicago Votes are trying to make sure that we're building a movement all the time because there's always actions that need to be taken. And so we're building a movement around all of these different actions that take place between election cycles. So court watching, we still gotta be in the courts watching these judges who are up for retention in two years. We got two years to gather data to see if these judges are racist, to see if these judges are sexist, and to see if these judges sentence kids to longer sentences or are locking kids up in cages. Mm -hmm. have, you know, the mayor proposes a budget every single year. The budget is supposed to get voted on in a couple of weeks. Um, is the mayor, you know, investing in mental health? Is the mayor investing in our education system? Is the mayor holding police accountable? We have to. We have to show up at these hearings. We have to, you know show up at the legislative hearings for the bills that I talked about that Chicago Boats is carrying. There's a lot of work that has to be done between now and then. And these are opportunities to continue to grow the movement. Um, because during election seasons, the people who are investing the most money in making sure voters turn out are the two political parties. These two political parties are not trying to build our movement of, of and for the people. They're just trying to get people to vote. Mm. So after the election is over and these political parties stop with the money, that means people are no longer going to get called. Their doors are no longer going to get knocked on. They're not going to get these text messages anymore. And it leaves it on the shoulders of organizations like Chicago Votes to continue that engagement, continue telling people how they can get involved. Because a lot of people are fired up right now. And we don't want to see that, you know, unplug and, mm -hmm. you know, deflate of all of the energy that we're witnessing now. Because if all of that energy that people have is then transitioned into how do we make our communities better, then we're starting to, like, get the gears going for creating a machine of the people that actually influences the political process and isn't, you know power isn't consolidated by like a few rich white Democrats and a few rich white Republicans. Right. Right. Brother, always appreciate it. Stevie Baez, executive director of the Chicago Action Fund. Make sure you follow the fund at Chicago Boats. Follow him at Stevie Baez. Um, listen, as you know, proud of you. Uh, keep up the great work. I can't wait to vote for you one day. <laughs> I will. I will put some of my money into that. All right. Um, and, and I want to do I'm not want to do that. Uh, but yeah, brother, keep up the great work, man. And I look forward to talking to you probably in a few months because you are the person that we go to to find out what we need to be doing when it comes to elections and voting, even outside of that, what we need to to uprise the people. So definitely stay down, man. And we always appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me anytime. No doubt. All right. Talk soon. Talk soon.